Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you, and I want to invite you to stand with us today. Today is the day the Lord has made, and we want to rejoice and be glad in that, and we want to praise him today and always and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. And good morning to everyone tuning in on Facebook. And YouTube as well. It's good to see you. Let's put our hands together just like this. Praise Him. Praise Him, you stars above. Galaxies all in motion. Praise Him, you thunder clouds. Ringing throughout the heavens. From every mountain top. To every wild ocean. Oh, hear all the universe sing praise. Oh, sing praise. Let everything that breathes, let all the earth proclaim. Great is the Lord our God. That's right. Praise Him forever. Let all that is within me magnify. Magnify His name. Great is the Lord our God. Praise Him. Praise Him forever. Praise Him. Praise Him forever. Praise Him, you beating hearts. Sing for the life He's given. Praise Him, you rescued once. Join in the sound of heaven. From every, from every mountain top to every wild ocean. Oh, hear all the universe sing praise. Oh, sing praise. Let everything that breathes. Let all the earth proclaim, great is, great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. Let all, let all that is within me magnify His name. Great is, great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. Absolutely. Yes, praise Him forever. Praise 
or praise Him. There is joy in the house of the Lord today. The Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of His people. And He restores unto us the joy of our salvation. And we worship Him who was and is and is to come. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. Yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. We shout. We shout out your praise. Oh, yes, we do. We sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always makes a way. Because He hung up on that cross and He holds up from that grave. My God, He'll roll His stones away. Oh, yes, He is. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. Shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Yes, we do, God. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. We were the beggars. We were the beggars. Now we're royalty. We were the prisoners. Now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house Fourteen praise, and there's joy. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, we shout out your praise. 
There's joy, there's joy in the house of the Lord, yeah. And we shout out your praise. Amen. Praise God. All right. Well, what I'd love for you to do right now is take a few moments to greet each other. What I want to ask you to ask one another is, uh, what's one of the goofiest dad jokes you've heard lately? I heard one this morning. uh, What do you call a sleepy woodsman? A slumberjack. So... uh, that that's the one that's that's the one you've heard so just take a few moments to greet one another and uh, we'll continue with our worship here in just a second All right, let's folks, let's continue our worship. We're going to go a little old school right now. And we sing holy, holy, holy. Let's sing it, church. 
so that all the world will know our God with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. That's good news, not just at Christmas time, but all year round. Let's pray. And I want to invite Pastor Gary up. Father, we thank you for being God with us. We thank you for being Emmanuel. We are grateful that you are near, that you are close, that your presence is powerful, and that uh, you promise to never leave us or forsake us. We stand firm on that and so many other promises. And Lord, I pray for Pastor Gary now as he continues our series on the book of Exodus. Lord, I pray that you would give him wisdom and and, uh, courage to boldly proclaim your word and that we would be receptive to how you want to work in us and through us today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Hey, so good to see you guys this morning. Please have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Uh, Really good to see all of you. Our God is great. He is awesome. He is good. He is faithful. He is holy, holy, holy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Jesus is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Master. Uh, Our mission as a church is inviting people to follow Jesus. That's what we're about. And our strategy is like super simple. It's just worship, grow, serve, and reach. And what we mean by that is we want to worship God in all we do. Uh, We want to grow in Christ day by day. We want to serve others over self. Because sometimes we can get so focused on ourselves, we forget that we really, we're most like Jesus when we serve other people and put other people first. And then we want to reach our community, our neighborhood, our street, our world, one person at a time. And what we mean by that is we want to point people to Jesus and how he is our Savior in what he has done for us. So that's what we're about as a church. Uh, Our stupid dad joke of the day uh, comes to us from this brilliant young comedian. His name is Elias. And uh, Elias told me that his stupid dad joke of the day was, uh, he asked dad, dad, can I watch TV? And dad said, yes, but you can't turn it on. So it made me laugh. Elias, you're great, buddy. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Uh, This weekend, we had the privilege, um, you know, Caleb and Jessica came over yesterday. Our son, our daughter-in-law came over yesterday. It was really, really good to be able to just hang out with them some yesterday evening. By the way. Uh, this is this is funny. Uh, Sandy asked me, she's asking me about this. Okay, I'm not growing a beard, all right? I actually ran out of shaving cream. Joy went to the grocery store, got some shaving cream. But when Caleb just came over, I'm like, I don't care about that. I'm not shaving. Uh, I wanted to spend every moment with them I could. So we had a great time together. It was great seeing them. But it was cool because this morning, Caleb and I, we were talking uh, about, we are just talking about the Bible. And uh, he was sharing with me a little bit of their experience. Uh, recently, they were in Rwanda, which I think a lot of you know. They were visiting some missionary friends there and uh, spending a little bit of time. And he was telling me a little bit about their church experience there. He actually showed me a video, some of the people singing. And just a group of people hanging out together. And just, you know, it was just awesome watching them worship together. I mean, I was like, I mean, if they were here in America, they'd be recording artists. They were, like, awesome. So they were all singing together, and then Caleb's videotaping. You know, he's doing his, – his gift is the taping on my phone part. Everybody else – the Jessica, everybody else, it's the singing part. But uh, we were talking this morning. We were talking about how sometimes in the Bible 
uh, sometimes people, they look at the Bible, and for them, all they can see is what looks like just this patchwork uh, of random stories. Uh, sometimes that's the way it, it looks. That's the way it feels to a person. And sometimes we even go up in a church context where we are taught to think of these stories as hero stories. In other words, if you're facing something really difficult, you're supposed to be the hero of your own story like David and go out and slay the giant. But the point of, of the whole David and the giant story is this. is What does David say? David doesn't say, I'm the hero. David says to Goliath, the Lord, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. See, in David's mind, in that story, it's the Lord who's the hero, not David. And sometimes when we look through, like right now, we've been studying through the book of Exodus, and we've been talking a lot about Moses. And sometimes people look and think, oh, Moses is this great hero of the faith. But, but Moses is very careful to let everybody know, I never wanted this gig. I didn't want to pastor this community of faith. It's not something I wanted. I, I just over and over again, I, I said, God, you know, what, what if they ask me who sent me? What am I to tell them? And, and what if they don't believe me? And, and, you know, what if, what if, what if? And finally, finally, Moses says, you know, God, I really don't want to do this. Send anyone you want, just not me. And then the Bible says that, that the Lord burned with anger. Towards, towards Moses. So Moses is really careful to let us know that he is not the hero of this story. And you know what's fascinating, fascinating, and this is something that Caleb and I were talking about this morning, is that, that the real story of the Bible is this. The real story of the Bible is this, is that God created all things good. God created all things good. I mean, we look at, you know... Y- y- the other day I was trying to pick some blackberries from a friend of mine's blackberry uh, vines in his backyard. And, and you know how when you're trying to pick them out and you have to get between the thorns and you really can't. All you, you get the thorns and not the berries. You know, it's like, it's like that's not the way God intended it. Or you look at a rose bush and you see the beauty of the rose. And, and you want to go and you want to pick the flower and then you grab a thorn. You know, it's like, it's like the beauty of creation in the beginning didn't include thorns. See, God created all things good, beautiful, awesome, wonderful things. But then something happened. Is that sin entered God's good creation. And sin touched every part of God's creation. And so we experience pain and we experience disappointment. And we experience things that cause us to be afraid. And, and so what the story of the Bible is this. Is that God created all things good. Then sin entered God's good creation, and it touched every part of God's creation. But God is now redeeming his creation, and one day in the last two chapters uh, of, the, of the Bible, we read that one day God's going to make all things good again. Okay? God's going to make all things good again. And that's the context. And it's, it's real fascinating is there's a conversation that's recorded in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus is talking with a couple of his disciples, and they're not aware they're talking to Jesus. And that's not really the point I want to make here. But what happens is the Bible tells us that Jesus began to explain to them from the the law, that would mean the law and the prophets, that was kind of their way of saying the Old Testament. But he began with the law and the prophets, and he taught to them all that the Old Testament scriptures had to say to them 
about Jesus. And it's like, I would have loved to have been a part of that conversation. And, and Jesus even said himself, in, in the greatest sermon ever preached, it wasn't preached by me, by the way, okay? The greatest sermon ever preached was the sermon by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, the, the point that's central in, the, in uh, well, I won't say it is the center point of the Sermon on the Mount, but I kind of feel like it is the center point. As Jesus says this, he says, I did not come to do away with the law but to fulfill it. See, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament Scriptures teach us. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a text of Scripture and we're going to talk about uh, what God was doing uh, in Egypt in the time of the Exodus. But what I hope to be able to do is at the end of this is to bring it back to Jesus. And hopefully so you can see how Jesus shows up in the book of Exodus. And, and in looking at this real quickly, just it's important to remember the context. Context is the key to understanding any text of Scripture. If you read a text of Scripture, you don't understand what it means, go back to the context. Read it again. Read it two or three times or five or six times. Read it in more than one translation. Okay? But just read, and, and things will begin to explain themselves. But in the context, just to remind you, is that more than 400 years before Moses comes on the scene, more than 400 years before this, okay? More than 400 years before this, uh, God uh, shows up, and he shows up with this guy named Abraham. And God says to Abraham, uh, he, he, he told Abraham that through Abraham's descendants, through Abraham's ultimate one descendant, Jesus, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And God said this to Abraham. He says, uh, blessed are those who bless you and your descendants. And cursed are those who curse you and your descendants. Now, when we read that, we should be thinking, because that was written, those words were written in the book of Genesis for the people who came out of Egypt after 400 years of experiencing the curse of Egypt's cruelty and slavery. Okay? They were the first readers of that Genesis text. And so the Egyptians had subjugated the Israelites for, to 400 years of cruel, oppressive slavery. Uh, the people of Israel had cried out to God. God had heard their cry. He saw their suffering. He remembered His covenant. He cared about His people. And He raised up Moses, even though Moses didn't want to be the guy to do it. He raised up Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And when God first sent Moses to Pharaoh, He instructed Pharaoh to tell, or He instructed Moses to tell Pharaoh that Israel was his firstborn son. Okay, this is what God told Moses. Moses, He said this, Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, this is what you're supposed to tell him. Israel is my firstborn son. If you do not let my firstborn son go, if you continue this cruelty, this hatefulness, This slavery, if you do not let my people go so that they may worship me, I am going to kill your firstborn son. Because Israel is my firstborn son. Your son for my son. 
I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds scary to me. You know? I mean, I, I say, okay, they can go. You know, I want to keep my son. I want to keep my son. That was the first conversation between Moses and Pharaoh. Seven different times, seven different times. I don't know if any of y'all have had this experience who's a parent. Do you ever have to tell your child to do something and then tell them again? Yeah. 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 This is a human thing, not a Pharaoh thing. Okay? This is a human thing. This was true for you when you were growing up. Maybe it still is. I don't know. Seven different times God tells Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. And you know what the Bible says? Seven different times the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen to the Lord God. Seven times. And finally, the Bible says this. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And he tells him one more time, let my people go. God brought nine different plagues, severe plagues. By the way, with each of these plagues, if you go through, if you know anything about the Egyptian pantheon, I don't know very much about it. I've done a little bit of reading on it. But each one of the plagues is really an attack on the different gods of Egypt. It shows that they are not true gods at all. And that the Lord God Almighty is the one and only true God. And, um, and in those nine different plagues, with each time, God is giving. This is an act of judgment, but it's also an act of mercy. God is giving Pharaoh, God is giving Egypt the opportunity to let Israel go. But again and again and again, they refuse to do it. By the way, every nation will be judged by God. Every nation that's ever been has been judged by God. Every nation that is today will be judged by God. Every nation that ever will be will be judged by God. The the, the Bible says this, it is appointed for all men to die once, and after that comes judgment. Everybody faces judgment. And we want to be ready for that. And we don't want to be like Egypt. We don't want to be those people who refuse to listen to God, refuse to listen, refuse to obey, refuse to believe, refuse God again and again. The Bible finally tells us that, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart, but he doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart against his will. He hardens Pharaoh's heart according to his will. So just reminding you of the context, very, very important uh, as we look at today's text. Today we're going to look at Hebrews, or excuse me, Hebrews. What book are we in? Oh, Exodus, that's right. It's about Hebrews, okay, the ancient Israelites. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look through verses 1 through 42. This is a lot, uh, but, but we really need to see it all together. Uh, this is not something that you can really break up, okay, into smaller units. In um, Exodus chapter 12, the Bible says this. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month of the year. The first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Simple instructions. Okay? The first of the year is going to be this month, the month of Abib. Later it's called the month of Nisan. It would be in, in our calendar year, it'd be around March, late March, was their first month of the year, right around barley harvest, okay? 
And he's saying, this is going to be, and what I want you to do is I want each man among you to go out and take a lamb for their family. By the way, the word lamb here in Hebrew can mean a lamb like, the, uh, like a baby sheep, but it can also mean uh, 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 a, like a kid, a baby goat. So it can be either one. And so he says, I want you to go, for each, I want each man to go, take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You're determined the amount of lamb needed according to what each person will eat. Okay, got that? Okay. It's kind of mundane instruction, really kind of almost, I don't know. To me, it feels kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of boring. But, but, you know, it's the Word of God, all right? So let's not dismiss it too quickly. They're to choose a lamb for each family unless the family's smaller and you can split it with a neighboring family. Verse 5, the animals you must choose must be one-year-old males, okay? One-year-old males uh, and um, without defect. Okay, they can't have any, like, serious, you know, problems, all right? They've got to be without defect. They've got to be uh, flawless. Uh, And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Remember, I told you lamb, Hebrew word, can mean baby goat or baby sheep. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. That's interesting. You pick it out on the 10th day, you take care of it until the 14th day. You take care of it until the 14th day when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Why on earth do they have to pick it out on the 10th day and slaughter it on the 14th day? Well, God is God. He can do pretty much anything he pleases. Maybe, I don't know, he wants the children to get really attached to it before they slaughter it. I don't know, you know. Uh, So they choose it, 10th day, slaughter it uh, on the 14th day. Then they are to take uh, some some of the blood of the lamb, and they're to put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat lamb. Does this not sound kind of, I don't know, uh, it, it sounds kind of messy. By the way, Christianity is a bloody religion, just so you know. Christianity is a bloody religion. Just, I think sometimes we want to clean it up, but it is a bloody religion. Whenever we take communion and we take the cup, it represents the blood of Jesus. Without the, spread, uh, the spilling of blood, there can be no remission of sins, no forgiveness. So they're to take this animal, kill it, slaughter it uh, at twilight, which would be about 3 to 5 in the afternoon Hebrew time up until sunset. So they were to slaughter it. Then they were to take the blood, put it on the tops of the doorframe sides. That same night, verse 8, that same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Uh, Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, the legs, and internal organs. Now, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do, Dolly. You you got it. Ooh, okay? I mean, most of us, you know, I don't know. If you like steak, you don't get the whole cow, you know, (laughs) leave the skin on, the head on, legs on, you know, hoofs all, you know, throw it on the barbecue, entrails still in it. That's not the way we, we cook, right? Okay. This is what you under, need to understand. This is like a meal prepared in haste. This is like a meal that's prepared like, you know, we've got to cook it and eat it as fast as we can to get out of here. Okay? 
that what you need to see, you need to feel like you're being rushed while you're 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 preparing this. Okay, you need to feel rushed. Do not eat the meat raw. Blah blah blah. With the head, legs, internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning, like the internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. Uh, if some is left over till morning, you must burn it. I know what part I'm going to be burning. <laughs> the internal organs. I don't have any part of that. Lamb brains. I don't know. Kid brains. I'm not sure if I'm going to eat that. I, I've eaten pig brains. But, but you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to have any part of that. So you, you burn it. Um, and, then, and then this is what the Lord says. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt. Sounds kind of strange to us. First of all, we don't wear cloaks. We wear, you know, us guys, we wear our, you know, we wear our shirts, pants, okay? Uh, and a lot of ladies do too. But you're to wear it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. This isn't the way the ancient Israelites would eat. They are dressed like they're ready for travel. They are dressed like if, if a man was going into combat, he would tuck his cloak into his belt so that he was more mobile. You don't want something hanging around your feet when you're swinging the sword or trying to miss one. And when you're in, if you're in a race, you know, you don't want something hanging around at your feet. You want to be able to move agilely. And so they, they have their cloak tucked into their belt. They've got their sandals on their feet. They've got their staff in their hand like they're ready to move. Eat it in haste. Now, my mom never said this to me. Gary, eat your food in haste. It was more like slow down and chew your food, okay? I was one of those kids who really could swallow a whole hot dog, all right? Uh Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will, stri- uh, I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn, both of people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Oh, did you see that? Did you see that? I will what? Bring judgment. On who? All the gods of Egypt. See, God is making a statement. God is making a statement. I am the one true God. These are false gods. They are less than nothing. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Now, when he's saying that, I mean, he's like, I don't know. He's like, a, he's like braced for combat. Nothing no one will resist his will. Okay? I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague. He's speaking here to Israel. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. By the way, there was one mandatory thing here. They actually had to slaughter the lamb. They actually had to put the blood on their doorposts. And we'll read later, they actually had to stay in the house. That's where the protection was. This is a day, verse 14, this is a day for you to commemorate. 
Okay, at this point in time, one of the things that makes difficult uh, reading through Exodus chapter 12 is he's, he's jumping back and forth between two time frames. He's jumping, he's going back to the time frame of the original Exodus, Israel coming out of Egypt, but then he's coming to a later context where he's instructing people how they're to continue to uh, practice Passover in years to come. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, for seven days, you will eat bread made without yeast. Okay, that's like bread that's made in a hurry. You don't have time to put yeast in it. For seven days, you are to eat, and, and this would be called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, the Festival of Unleavened Bread. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. By the way, yeast was often used as a symbol of uh, spiritual, um, uh, uh, spiritual compromise in a person's life. It was often used symbolically to speak of sin. Okay? It, the scriptures use it that way. For seven days you are to eat the bread without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Okay? Basically, like, excommunicated. You know? Like, you know, okay. I don't want to pick on anybody in our church. So let's just pretend right here in that empty chair. Let's just pretend there's a guy there. We'll say his name is Fred. Okay? It's not his real name. His real name is Bill. But we'll just say his name is Fred. Fred, get out of here. you got leaven in your house. Okay? You're eating bread with leaven in it. Who do you think you... You're eating hush puppies without ketchup. All right? You know, I don't know. But it's like you're going to be cut out, excommunicated. Why? Because he was profaning the holiest... One of the holiest days of the year for the nation of Israel. He was profaning not just the day, but the God. He is profaning everything that God did on Passover, delivering the people. He's profaning. This, is, this would be, it's like, it's like flipping God the finger. Okay? It is an utter disrespect. It's like using the F word with God. Okay? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just telling you that to disrespect the Passover for an Old Testament Israelite, was exactly that. It was just, it's like spitting on your Bible. Where am I at? What would I do without my wife? I don't want to find out. Okay. Um, actually, 16 says, uh, on the first day, you hold a sacred assembly, and another one on the seventh day, so basically like a big worship service. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That's all you may do. Okay? So basically, it's supposed to be a day off. It's supposed to be a festival. It's supposed to be a time of enjoyment. It's supposed to be a time of rest. It's supposed to be a time of reflection. It's supposed to be a time of worship. Verse 17, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, the month of Abib, later called Nisan, in the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your households, uh, in, any, with, uh, in anyone, whether 
foreigner or native born. By the way, by the way, by the way, in the nation of Israel, there was always room for people of other nations to be received. They were a they were to be a very inclusive community. That when someone of another nation, someone who was foreign born, wanted to be a part of the covenant community of the people of God, they were to be welcomed in it, and there was to be one law. There wasn't supposed to be two laws, one for the foreigner and then one for the native born, but there was to be one law for both native born and foreigner. Okay, again, what verse am I in? 18? 19? Okay, uh, in the first month, east, okay. Uh, yeah, 19. For seven days, no yeast to be found. Okay, uh, verse 20. Um, eat nothing made with yeast. Whether you live, wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. I believe that this verse right here, wherever you live, uh, obviously it's going to be some time before they're in the nation of Israel, but I also believe this is looking forward to a time when Israel will go into captivity uh, in Assyria and into Babylon and later uh, until they're released in the time of the Persians. But they were to celebrate this day wherever they were. Okay? Uh, verse 21, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel, said to them, Go at once, select the animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, it's like a little you know, branch, dip it into the blood, using it kind of like a paintbrush, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top of both, uh, and on both sides of the door frame. So you got blood on top, okay? You're just spreading blood across the top of your door frame. Okay? You're spreading it up and down this side. You're spreading blood up and down this side. You want that blood to show up. This isn't the way we do our homes, you know, when we're expecting comfort. Put blood all over the door frame. So it'd be kind of weird. But that's what they did. Um Verse 23, when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway, and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance. This, this is where he goes from talking about it as an event in that moment to how they're to celebrate it for years to come. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants, when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe the ceremony. And when your children ask you, because they're going to ask, when they see you slaughtering the lamb, when they see you taking the blood, when they see you putting door on the door frame, when they see you eating this meal like you're dressed for travel, your children are going to ask, What's all this about? What does this ceremony mean to you? Then you are to tell, tell them. By the way, it is the jobs of parents and the jobs of grandparents to raise our children to follow Jesus. It is not our job to make sure our kids do every activity that our world tells us is necessary. But what I will tell you is necessary for us to do is to teach them to follow Jesus. Okay? That's what moms and dads do. That's not what moms do. Dads don't. That's what dads and moms do. They do it by how they model. They do it by how they instruct. That's what grandparents are supposed to do. We're supposed to teach our grandchildren to follow Jesus. 
when they ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. You know, in recent months in the Ukraine, there's been a lot of loud wailing. In the Ukraine, there are people who they have real family members dead because of this war. This was a real event. It was traumatic for the people who lost family. This is not a bedtime story. This is, this is not something we're supposed to read and yawn about. This is something we should read with great emotion. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. But all of this tragedy could have been easily averted. All of this tragedy could have been easily averted had Pharaoh in Egypt simply and did with the Lord. For 400 years, they had cruelly oppressed Israel. They even took the baby boys of the Israelites. All the Egyptians were taking baby boys. from. They, they would go to a mom. They would rip the baby out of the arms of the mother. They would take that baby and throw it out into the night were to either drown or be eaten by crocodiles. The Egyptians cruelly oppressed Israel. They refused to listen to God. They refused to obey. With every nation that refuses to listen to God, with every nation that refuses to humble itself before God, with every nation that refuses to believe and obey God. There comes a time of wailing and reckoning. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. There can be repentance. There can be humility before God. By the way, this is why we do revival prayer. This is why we do revival prayer every first Sunday of the month. This is why we do it. Because we want to humble ourselves before God. We want, we don't want to see judgment. We want to see revival. We want to see revival in our lives. We want to see revival in our church. We want to see revival and spiritual awakening in our nation. This is why we gather and we have been gathering for years now 
a small group of us and praying, praying for our church and praying for our community and praying for our nation. Verse 31, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you said, and go, go, go. And also bless me. You know, before this, Pharaoh would say, You can go, but don't go too far. You can go, but you can't take your women and children with you. You can go, but you can't take your herds and flocks with you. But now he says, go, get out of here. All of you, get out, leave, take everything you have, and go. And please bless me. The one who has refused to listen to God is now asking for blessing. Verse 33, the Egyptians urged the people, hurry, leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will die. So the people, the people of Israel, took their dough before the yeast was added, carried it on their shoulders in eating uh, troughs or bowls wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. They plundered the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians, this is basically... Uh, back pay for 400 years of slave labor. Okay? That's basically what this is. And all these things are used later in the book of Exodus in the construction of the tabernacle, the place of worship. Verse 37, Then the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. Uh, There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Many other people, many other people, the many other people here, you see that, many other people? Meaning not not just Israelites. But there were, among these people, perhaps some Egyptians, other nationalities living in Egypt at that time, who saw and recognized that there is only one true God, the God of Israel, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. Many other people went up with them, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough, the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they bought baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they, had not, uh, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring, bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. There's a lot of stuff there, is there not? Uh, let me um, let me try to wrap this up real fast. Let me share with you five thoughts, five things I'm thinking out, uh, thinking about, reflecting on, but things that just kind of stand out to me in my study of Exodus at this point. The Lord judges the false heathen gods of the Egyptians. By the way, there's only one true God. The Bible doesn't give us the the option of saying, oh, there are many, many alternative religions that we can turn to. That's not the message of the Bible. There's one true God. Okay? The Lord God Almighty. The Lord of Israel. A covenant-keeping God. 
a righteous God, a holy God, a God who is awesome in power, a God who is the judge of the living and the dead, a God who is also gracious and merciful and eager to forgive all who will humble themselves before Him. But the Lord judges the false heathen gods of the Egyptians. He humiliates them and reveals for all to see that He and He alone is the Lord God over all of creation. Second thought is this. The Lord gives the enemies of Israel opportunity to repent. You know, I, I really think you've got to read all of these plagues all at once and look at it all at once, but trying to preach it all at once is really hard. Okay? Someone else better than me can do that. I can't. All right? But, but what I want you to see is the enemies of Israel had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. This is not a temperamental God. This is a God that's not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. This is not an angry temperamental God. This is a God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It gives people opportunity to repent. The Lord gives the enemies of Israel opportunity to repent, but when they refuse to repent, God brings severe. It is severe. There's no other way of saying it. It's severe. It is heart-rending judgment and pain. Pain. Wailing in Egypt. Number three, God remembers this covenant people, Israel, and he fights for them. We are, as followers of Jesus, the covenant people of Israel today, or the covenant people of God today. God remembers his covenant people and fights for them. Number four, Israel was to remember and celebrate God's faithful intervention on their behalf. Uh, folks, it's really important that we have days of commemoration and days of celebration and days of rejoicing. Uh, Days like Christmas, days like Easter. It is important for us to have times. uh, In fact, I think it's important for us to have a day each week that's holy. I do. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I think we need a day, and we need to keep it holy. A day set aside for reflection, for worship. uh, A time to celebrate God's grace and mercy. Israel was to remember, celebrate God's faithful intervention on their behalf. Finally, the blood and the Passover sacrifice, I believe, foreshadows the coming of Jesus as our Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, let me tell you why I believe that. See, I believe that everything that we see here with the Passover Lamb is a foreshadowing of a a greater sacrifice that's to come. The, the, the Passover sacrifice is a foreshadowing of a greater sacrifice that's to come. I can prove that to you. When, when John the Baptist was with his disciples, and when he saw Jesus, you know what John the Baptist said about Jesus? He said to his disciples, he said this, um, where's it at? Oh, right here, uh, John 1, 29. It says, uh, and I don't, sorry, I don't have a slide for this. But he says this. He says, look, the Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God. Speaking of Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God. Look at him. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In, in First Peter, uh, Peter is writing to people who are being cruelly oppressed as Christians in the first century, A.D. 
He says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed by God, that you were saved. It's not with perishable things like silver and gold. Things that have no real value. If you can have all the gold in the world, it is nothing. If you can be the richest person in the world, it means nothing. What does it profit a man to gain all that this world has to offer but lose his soul? See, we weren't redeemed with lesser things. We were redeemed with something that has real value. Not gold, not silver, not money. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Oh, by the way, what kind of lamb were the fathers supposed to choose for their family? A one-year-old lamb, male lamb, without defect. See, Jesus is, he is the perfect lamb who takes away the sin of the world. He is perfect, not having sinned in any way. That's why he can be my sacrifice, because I'm covered with all kinds of sin. I am. I need to be covered by the sacrifice of someone who has no sin at all. The blood and the Passover sacrifice foreshadows the coming of Jesus as our Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It's very interesting. Uh, Paul is writing to a church in uh, Corinth. It was a church that had a lot of compromise. By the way, it was a church where there was a lot of polarization. A lot of polarization like what we see in our world today. A lot of polarization over things like covid a lot of polarization over things like politics. A lot of polarization over things that don't matter. Jesus matters. Everything else is unimportant. Jesus matters. And when we focus on Jesus, we need to let go of lesser things and focus on what's really, truly important. When speaking to a divided church, a sexually immoral church, Okay, This is what the Bible says. It says, get rid of the old yeast. You remember the yeast? You remember the bread? You know, you know, Get rid of the old yeast that you may be able, that you may be new, a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb. Oh, Passover lamb. For Christ our Passover lamb. Uh has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, I, I've been talking a lot about judgment. I've been talking a lot about our nation. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come on back up. And uh, I, I do this uh, intentionally and purposefully because I think sometimes we kind of like to think that that our nation is the greatest nation in the world. But our nation is like every other nation. Our nation answers to God. By the way, did you know the Roman, did you know that Roman Empire at one time considered themselves to be a Christian country? They considered themselves to be a Christian nation. I went through a, a list of Christian nations. It was really interesting how many nations considered themselves to be Christian nations. It was also interesting how many of those nations faced judgment. 
I talk about this because I do believe there is a day of reckoning. I do. I believe that Jesus actually is coming again. And I also believe that God is giving us ample opportunity to repent, to humble ourselves before God. I'll go back to what I said earlier. This is part of the reason why we gather on the first Sunday of every month and we pray for revival. Because what our nation needs today is it doesn't need smoke machines and better sound systems and all this kind of stuff. What our nation needs is it needs Jesus. It needs revival. And all of that, that that, that counts more than all the other things, than nice buildings and all this other kind of stuff. What we really need is we just need Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Uh, You are the righteous judge of the living and the dead. You are holy, holy, holy. And Lord, you are gracious and you are merciful. And you are compassionate. And you are patient. You have been so patient with us. Thank you. God, you have saved us because of your love and your mercy. God, I pray for us. Help us to never, never come into worship with indifferent hearts. Help us to worship you with hearts that are filled with passion for you. Lord, help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Help us to follow you. God, I do pray for revival in my life. I pray for spiritual renewal in my life. God, I pray for spiritual renewal for every person in this room right now. Lord, for the person who's not yet saved, who's not yet put their hope in Jesus, I pray that today will be the day that they surrender themselves to you and be saved. God, I pray I pray for my neighbors. I pray for friends of mine in this community who don't know Jesus. I ask you please to save them. Lord, help me to be a courageous, kind, gracious witness for you with them. Lord, I pray for revival in this church, and I pray for revival in every church in this community. And I pray for spiritual awakening in my neighborhood, in every neighborhood in this community. God, I pray for revival in the churches across this nation, and I pray for spiritual awakening across this nation. And I pray this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. Well, praise God for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I love when we're reading the Old Testament and you see how it just points to Jesus. And so many times, and just re, like setting Exodus has been so good. So um, thanks for that, Gary. Um, well, this time we are going to worship God with our giving. And, um, you know, as Gary's been preaching about the Israelites when they left Egypt, and as we know, you know, they wandered for years before they got to the land that God called them to. And I actually want to read a passage. Because, you know, when King David, when he began to rule the nation of Israel in Jerusalem, you know, they'd been wandering for so many years. And God was saying, I want you to build me a temple. And, you know, to build a temple, it takes people giving to God's house. And I want to read to you what happened when David asked the people of God to give 
towards the temple. And the temple is where God's presence was. You know, we have the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go when we have Jesus. But back then they didn't. If they wanted to go to God's presence, they had to go to the temple. And I want to read to you what King David said to his people when they were collecting these offerings. And so what King David said, and this was his prayer to God. He says, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you. And we have been given only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. And we were all, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we provided for building you a temple for your holy name It comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. And what I love about this prayer of David is here's the king of Israel, and he's got wealth, and he gave generously. And what I love is that when he prays, he acknowledges, God, everything that's in my wallet, everything that's in that back room, all the gold he had, he said, God, I know all of that's from you. I know you gave me that. And so I want to give only to you what you've already given to me. And, you know, that's what giving's about. You know, that's why we say every week at this time we want to worship God with our giving because, you know what, it is an act of worship. It's saying, you know, I'm not going to trust in that. God, I'm going to trust in you. And I want to be a part of building God's kingdom. I want to be a part of something eternal. And that's what happens when we get to give to God through the church. So that's exciting. So we've got several ways that you can give today. First of all, if you're here in person, it's good to see you. It's good to see your face. Um, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) And uh, if you're here in person, I want to encourage you. You're offering. We have a silver slot in the back. You can give your giving right back there. You can also go to our website, uh, solanavalley.org slash giving. You can tap the give button on our SVC app. You can send a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. And you can text the word GIVE to 707-883-3019. Lots of options. Also, I want to remind you, every Wednesday, Pastor Gary and Pastor Matt are hanging out at Journey Coffee at 4 o'clock here in Fairfield on Shadbourne Road. And if there's anything you want to chat about or talk about, they're there. Um, I know they've had some neat conversations over the past few weeks with people. And so, um, you know, I want to invite you if you want to chat or if you know somebody who, you know, maybe is curious about spiritual things or what's Jesus all about, come on over for coffee at Journey uh, Wednesdays at 4 o'clock, and they'd love to visit with you. Also, coming up, we're going to have a picnic in the park. It'll be on Friday, August 19th from 530 to 7. And bring your food, a picnic, and we're going to have some games and just connect and hang out. It'll be Friday, August 19th, 530 to 7. And that's it. Let's stand, church. Let's praise him together one more time before we send you out into the mission field. Right here we go. Praise Him, you stars above, galaxies all in motion. Praise Him, you thunder clouds, 
ringing throughout the heavens, from every mountain top to every wild ocean. Oh, hear all the universe sing praise. That's right. Oh, sing praise. Let everything that breathes, let all the earth proclaim. Great is the Lord our God. Grace Him forever. Let all that is within me magnify His name. Great is the Lord our God. Grace Him forever. Grace Him forever. Praise Him, you beating hearts. Sing for the life He's given. Praise Him, you rescued one. Join Him with the sound of heaven. From every mountain top to every wild ocean. Oh, hear all the universe sing praise. Oh, sing praise. Let everything that breathes, let out the earth proclaim. Great is the Lord our God. Oh, praise Him forever. Let all that is within Magnify His name. Great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. Oh, Lord. Praise Him forever. One last time. Praise Him forever. Yes. Thank you for being here. Have a blessed week, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, bro. That was a wonderful.